This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Michael Redler. Dr. Redler is both an extraordinary surgeon, but he's also been I- I- extremely involved in sort of mission-driven work. Uh, he's helped with missions for surgery for patients in Honduras and other countries. He's done some fascinating things in his career and has made for a fulfilling and great career. We talked to him today about sort of his career, what he's done that he's most fulfilled by, what he's most excited about today. And you have to remember in the backup of all of this is he's got a magnificent reputation as a great, great, and very busy orthopedic surgeon. Dr. Redwood, can you take a moment to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about your career and what you're doing today? Well, Scott, that's a, that's a wonderful introduction. I certainly appreciate the praise. Uh, I've now been in practice for 33 years, though it feels like I'm just getting started. And when I always tell my patients, I'm just ramping up. Uh, I trained at the University of Virginia, did both my orthopedic residency as well as sports medicine, upper extremity fellowship training there. And that's really what I've done throughout my career professionally. Uh, I founded the Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center uh, many years ago. And within the last few years, we have merged with Connecticut Orthopedics in the state of Connecticut to become the premier orthopedic group. Uh, I have continued to take care of high-level athletes and patients in all walks of life to help them get back to what they love to do. And frankly, that experience has allowed me to do, as you've suggested, uh, to do some mission work and to give back as my career has progressed. And, and take a moment. I'm going to take you to one of the later questions I we had sent you earlier to think about and stuff like that. But, but take a moment, Don. You've had this career. I envy the career you've had. I always look at it with sort of like, and it's it's really what you just said there a few moments ago. I, I, I've been at this for 33 years, but I tell my patients I'm just getting started. And that's sort of the positivity you bring to everything. It's really a remarkable trait. Talk about, is that just wired in you and how you are? Or is that advice you can give to other surgeons about having a fulfilling and positive career and looking at it as though, no, I'm just getting started. I have more things I want to do that I'm excited about. How do you sort of, what advice do you give to a young surgeon or a surgeon? could be an old surgeon, any surgeon, any, any healthcare leader. It could be a, a hospital CEO about maintaining that love for what you do and that interest in how you do it. Well, you know, I think that sometimes I find myself saying, some of the same things to a lot of my patients. And one of the things I say to my patients, whether they're overcoming an injury or whether they're dealing with adversity, is that real life is an endurance sport. And and I actually would love to trademark that phrase so I could put it up there and and, uh, have that uh, moving forward. But what does that mean? Well, real life is an endurance sport means that if you're a young orthopedic surgeon, you've got to keep that endurance, you can't let yourself fatigue, you've got to continue to be interested. If you're the patient, real life endurance sport means that there could be bumps in the road, but it's not going to be an overnight type of failure, an overnight success, but one where you continue to improve by going through certain programs. I think one of the things that keeps me fresh with patients is I view every time that I meet a new patient, it's a chance to win someone over. And if you always have that mindset, you're always going to stay fresh. Never just mail it in. It's a new chance to win them over. You want them to go out and say, gosh, that was a great experience. I feel so much better what I'm going through. 
And I think that that leads to great patient following, but it also leads to great patient outcome. What, what I mean by that when you is talk that, about but no no because I, I see that in you and I want I want to talk about that with combined with the phrase that you've trademarked or going to trademark life is an endurance sport it, it, because the, the concept of how you leave people is it's, it's how you leave most of us that visit with you like you care in, in a positive way and, and leave us like God it's a pleasure to visit with dr. Redler so how do you combine that with the concept of life is an endurance sport? Is that positivity? Is that a? Is that a? Do you also have to work at keeping that perspective every day, or does that come from so naturally to you? Because for most of us, it requires a little bit of work to stay that positive every day. I think it's such a great thing. It's a great quality. But do do you encourage with that? They they've got to work at that paradigm shift, that view of the world, or does that just come naturally to you? Well, look, I think that we all work at maintaining that positive attitude. And I, I think that in some ways, I've probably got that positive attitude from my mother, who's 88 and still a vigorous tennis player and walker and looks at every day as a positive experience. Her mother is, was the same way as well. But I think that when you're dealing with patients, one of the ways that you remain positive is to, to know the patient. They're not just a knee. They're not just a shoulder. There's a person behind that. They've got experiences. They've got fears. They've got anxieties. And I would argue that if you get to know that patient and you know that patient is individual and you can express that to the patient, you can do the exact same treatment, the exact same surgery, the exact same physical therapy as someone else will do, but your patient will do better because you know them as a person. And, and having that positivity will rub off on them and they'll have better outcomes. Take a moment. I, I don't want to stop you on other advice you have for emerging leaders or leaders. Any other advice you wanted to give? Because I do want to take you back to sort of what are the things you've been most fulfilled with in your career and what are you most excited about now? But, but let me know if first you had any more advice you wanted to give to surgeons, leaders, and others. Well, in, in addition to always having the attitude that real life is an endurance sport, always, always be willing to continue to learn and be willing to change. Don't be the first in the block, but use the critical thinking that you've learned during your residency and training to adapt new technology and be ready to change, be ready to, to discard older treatment options. I think one of the great things about residency training and fellowship training is it allows you to have that critical thinking. It allows you to have that foundation. I trained at the University of Virginia. I did both my orthopedic residency as well as my fellowship there. And I've got to tell you, years later, a lot of the procedures we did then, we don't do now. But the beauty of the training was it allowed that foundation to allow you to evaluate new technology, to evaluate new concepts, and to adapt as things progress and as new technology comes along. And if you keep fresh like that and make that choice that it's a lifetime of learning, then you stay on top of your game. I, I think it's such an important perspective and totally can, can, can agree with it 100% wholeheartedly. I, I, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but I'll, I'll, I'll limit myself because I won't, if I start, I won't be able to stop asking about other things like Ralph Sampson, the University of Virginia, and, and so many other subjects like this. I, I, will, I will go on one tangent very quickly. I, I watched this magnificent University of North Carolina athlete in the final four. And he was sort of hurt in the semifinals, hurt in the finals a little bit. And here's a guy who had probably the best college year of any player. 
as an orthopedic surgeon, what advice do you give somebody like that? Should they have sort of like, how does a coach manage that so this guy doesn't hurt himself? Um, you know, I, I can't pronounce his last name correctly, so I won't try. But magnificent athlete, magnificent effort. But but should his coach be managing him better to avoid him taking risk on this two hundred million dollar contract he's likely to get when he comes to pro? I mean, I, I watch this and I see the guy get hurt. And it's a tragedy for me to watch almost because I know he's competing at his very best level, but he, he's on the cusp of having his, finan- fam- his financial worst taken care of forever. It's an orthopedic surgeon. How do you look at those things? You know, I think there's always a fine line. And I think that when you function as a team physician at a, a high level, you always have to have as your primary focus the health and the well-being of your athlete. And clearly, look, if you take care of a team, you're a a fan of that team, you want them to do well, you've got relationships with the coaches, you've got relationships with the athletic director, but your primary focus always has to be the athlete. And look, if you can figure out a way that they can safely compete and contribute to the overall uh, success of the team, that's great. But always remember, your primary focus is your that patient's physician. And if you're that patient's physician, they've got to come first. You know, sometimes it's a judgment call. And, and I think that we tr- trust that we're going to do the very best that we can with that judgment call. We try to play the percentages of what's going to allow for best outcome. But we know sometimes that it's a slippery slope and we have to be very careful. Just always remember the patient the athlete, that's your first priority. A hundred percent. And let me, let me take you forward to some of the other things I want to talk to you about. It's just so fast for me to watch this and, and feeling the pain for this person is just magnificent and, and hoping he didn't get hurt. And it seems like he got out of this. Okay. And we'll be okay. But just, Oh my goodness, just uh, frightening to watch um, because the person has so much at stake and we're just watching the game as fans, but he's got so much at stake for his whole life. Take us for a moment towards, you've done some fast things in your career, and you are a constant learner, but you've also been a giver, too. Talk about the things that you've done that have been the most satisfying to you from a philanthropic, not only giving money, but giving of yourself, your time, your involvement. What are the things that you've enjoyed the most? Listen, I think one of the things, Scott, that we have had the opportunity to do is is if you've had a successful career, if you've had great training, if you've been able to take care of a lot of people, is you've got to give back. And what does give back mean? Well, to me, one of the primary things is to be able to help those that otherwise could not afford help or could not get help. And and, and for me, that's been going to medical missions with One World Surgery. Uh, I've been to Honduras now seven times. And there are wonderful people down there. They want to work hard. They want to support their family. And unfortunately, the opportunity for good orthopedic care and surgical care there is very, very limited. I can tell you that I went back for my seventh time in October. And yes, the pandemic was still sort of moving along, but I felt it's so important to get back there. And these are patients that have waited years to have surgery. And all they want to do is they want to get healthy. They want to be able to support their family. And for me, it's one of the most fulfilling things I do. I can tell you that if you can take one person who needs surgery and you can provide that surgery so they can heal, 
Well, if they can heal, they can take care of their family. If they can take care of their family, their kids can go to school. If their kids can go to school, they can have a better livelihood and be able to support their family. So one surgery can make a huge difference. And we know, and One World Surgery talks about that, that the lack of surgical care has made a big difference and ability for not only individual families, but villages and regions to be able to succeed. And, and I think that's one of the things that has been most fulfilling to me. You know, I don't think that I'm necessarily a very religious uh, person, but I can tell you that when you walk down the dirt road as the sun is coming up with a backpack on and a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, and you're gonna go to the surgical center and do eight or 10 hours of surgery a given day, uh, that to me is a very spiritual experience. Phenomenal, you do so many interesting things from business and philanthropic perspective. What else are you particularly interested and excited about currently? Well, look, I think that what we want to do is to continue to, you know, improve our delivery of care. And one of the things that I've been so passionate about is delivery of care means being able to allow patients to overcome these injuries, to recover from surgery, and to do so with minimal use of opioids. And I have been inspired by many of my colleagues around, and we've been able to give a lot of talks around the country over the years about opioid sparing strategy. And the ability to deliver that care without the risk of opioids has become now more front and center than it was years ago. And, and I'm proud to be able to deliver that message. I'm proud to be able to continue to get my patients better without that risk of opioids, because we know and you know that it's not just the patient at risk, it's the family at risk, it's the medicine that sits on the medicine cabinet at risk. And I can tell you that when I've given talks, including at your fabulous meetings, one of the first things I'll always say to the audience, how many people in the audience have known a family member, a member of their community, of their religious organization that has died of an overdose. And in most audiences, perhaps 75% of the people will raise their hand. And that's a scary number. And I'm passionate about continuing to deliver that message of how we can minimize that risk, don't have opioids available, and get people better in a comfortable way. And I think it's one of the best things we can do for our patients and, frankly, is for society as a whole. Phenomenal. And there's progress being made on the prescription side against opioids, but not as much progress on the sort of recreational drug side, is my impression. Is that your sense of things? Well, I think that, listen, we've gone through some terrifically challenging times uh, between the pandemic and just the stress that life has uh, come about with this pandemic. And I think that unfortunately that has led more to escape. And a lot of that has been recreational drugs. Uh, I think it's a scary time. And I think that, you know, it's one of these things that we've got to keep working hard to understand that patients and individuals become addicted to drugs. They're not necessarily bad people. They're caught up in a bad place. And there are wonderful organizations like Shatterproof and that I know that you're aware of that have worked hard to alert individuals, alert governments, alert everybody that this is not a bad situation. These aren't bad people. They're just people with a disease that need to be helped. And we need to deal with it in that fashion in order to make it 
or our mainstream care, just like you would for diabetes or heart disease or any other medical problems. No, and, and couldn't agree more with that, that it is not, it, it's not leaving the person. It's more just the point that I think prescription drug causing of it, you know, true medical drug causing of it has been reduced some, but we're still seeing a horrible epidemic for a whole ton of other reasons. It's not that there shouldn't be continued work on opioid sparing strategies from the medical community. There should be, but, but my understanding is there has been great progress there. There's a lot to be done still. But we've got a whole other plethora of problems and challenges out there as well. Fascinating area. Dr. Red, we're a fascinating career. I know it's just getting started. Um, and, and I love this concept of life is an endurance sport. Phenomenal. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Dr. Redward. What a pleasure. Scott, it, it's always a pleasure. You've been an inspiration to so many of us. And, and I think that you are living proof that real life is an endurance sport. And yes, I want to it's, claim the trademark for that someday soon. <laughs> rightfully so. But it sure is, though. It really is. And so I just love that concept. And I will, um, I will use that, but attribute it to you constantly. Thank you so much, Dr. Redler. Scott, it's a pleasure. I'll look forward to seeing you in June.